Good morning. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit is welcome here amongst us? Praise the Lord. It is so good to see some of the faces that I'm seeing here today. Ernie, so good to see you. I know you've had some challenges this week, and you look great. Anne, so good to see you. Oh, praise the Lord. Yeah, thank you. And um, there's a couple of things. This is Denomination Sunday, and um, I'm not quite sure what that means, but it's in the bulletin, so I'm supposed to say <laughs> Women's Bible study on Tuesday. I do know about that. We are starting the book of Ephesians. That is um, high theology and is going to be a very wonderful study. So see you there. Uh, 10 to noon. Um, Gospel Rescue Mission Food Collection. And thank you to Chuck and Sally who are always so faithful to take care of that. And um, Robert's Bible study, men's Bible study this week. Yes. Men's Bible study this week, uh, Tuesday evening, and that's always a really good time for everyone. <laughs> so um, we just want to thank, thank you for uh, being here this morning, and we look forward to Ray speaking. Pastor Waldron is going to speak to us today, and we're really thrilled about that. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, to see Wayne back on his feet and back home with us again. You are so kind and so merciful. We see your mercy in each face and in each life that is here this morning. We see your goodness and, your, and the way you care for us. And so we praise you and thank you for that. And um, we just want to give glory to the God of creation and the God of our lives and that we uh, love you and serve you in every way. And so we offer this service unto you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, how many of you remember that cartoon character that was, oh, woe is me? Is that e Eeyore? Yes. Eeyore. It's going to rain. Okay, what's the opposite of that? Triumphantly the church will rise, victorious meeting in the skies. <clears throat> Triumph and glory. <laughs> the day of the Lord, so as he comes as a thief in the night. Christians have no cause to go around wringing their hands, wondering what they will do in the face of this present world situation. And how many people can say amen to that? <clears throat> The scripture says in the midst of persecution, confusion, wars, rumors of wars, that we are to comfort one another with the knowledge of the Jesus Christ and his return um, in glory and majesty triumphantly. Many times when I go to bed, I think that before I awaken, Christ may come. Sometimes when I get up and look at the dawn, I think that perhaps maybe this is the day the Lord will return. But until that day, God is still working, and so should we. In a world filled with turmoil and hopelessness, we are to pray, and we are to do all that we can do to alleviate the suffering and bring Christ's love to the others that are hurting. May Jesus' words become true in our life and your life. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The hope for today, it's tempting to sit back, study the signs, and attempt to guess when Christ will return. But our command is to keep working until he comes. Let's be about our Father's business. I lift my eyes up unto the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven, creator of 
Psalm 136 this morning and treat it as a responsive reading. Your part will be to say, for his mercy endures forever, which it does. So, I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. I'll give thanks to the God of gods. I'll give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. For his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. For his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. For his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights. For his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. For his mercy forever. <clears throat> to him who struck Egypt in their firstborn. For his mercy forever. And brought out Israel from among them. For his mercy forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. For his mercy forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. For his mercy forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And slew famous kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan and gave their land as a heritage, for his mercy forever. a heritage to Israel his servant, for his mercy who remembered us in our lowly state, for his mercy forever. and rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy forever. who gives food to all flesh, for 
O give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. How long does his mercy endure? <laughs> Repetition is a good teacher. Doesn't even need his cane, really. <laughs> I didn't choose this, I didn't select this passage, but once I took a look at it, it's one of those passages you want to get up and preach on. So um, I'm going to read it for you. <laughs> it's Hebrews, the second chapter, 14th verse. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, our Jesus, likewise partook in the same things, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to bring those small offerings into your hand to do as you please, that you sustain the body, the church, and that you do so much outreach with it. We thank you, Lord, for this offering that will be brought in today by your hand. In Jesus' name, amen.
The title of my sermon this morning is, I Am a Gift of God. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are your word, that your words are life, your words are truth. Your word is everything we need. We pray that you will speak to us, warm our hearts, open our eyes, Open our ears that we may not just hear you, but invite you in and let you live out through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I am a gift of God. This quote is from R.C. Sproul. The only reason why I'm a Christian is because I am a gift of the Father to the Son, not because of anything I have ever done. Think on that a moment. I am a gift of the Father to the Son, and not because of anything I have ever done. We cannot earn our salvation. Luther's battle cry was Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In the fourth century, according to Catholic tradition, St. Helena deconstructed the stairs in Jerusalem that led up to the praetorium where Christ appeared before Pontius Pilate. She had those removed and reconstructed in Rome. They led up to a church that according to tradition, was built on ground brought back from Jerusalem for the purpose of uh, obtaining penance for our loved ones in purgatory. In 1510, Luther had a chance to visit Rome. And after he had visited the graves of 46 popes and the graves of 80,000 martyrs, he felt the need to ascend the Scala Sancta. In Latin, or from the Latin, that means holy stairs. And the church said, if you ascended each of these marble stairs, reciting an Our Father, when you reached the top of these stairs, you would be awarded with an indulgence that would grant you the right to have your loved ones removed from purgatory. Halfway up, Luther heard thunder. And he said, what reverberated in my heart was God's word saying, the just shall live by faith. And that started what we know as the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I'm reading from the NLT, so it might be somewhat different than what you have, but it'll be recognizable. As we read John, chapter 17, I want you to see if you can discern, if you can hear, a rhythm of grace. It is most certainly a melody, and the lyrics 
go like this. I am a gift of God. To the, from the Father to the Son. I am a gift of the Father to the Son. Verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. Father, you give eternal life to each one you have given me. Circle that. Circle that in your Bible. You have given eternal life to each one you have given me. Verse 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who sent you to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Verse 5. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Do you sense a rhythm? Like the, like the rolling of a wheel. I'm old enough to remember when the first steel-belted radials came out. I discern that most of you probably remember that. Well, the men anyway. I remember my dad saying, after having driven on bias ply tires for so many years, that when the first steel-belted radios came out, he said, son, listen to that. You, do you hear those? They're, those tires are singing. They had a, um, a tone to them. I want you to hear some tone this morning. The rhythm of John 17, this circle, if you will, is number one, we give glory to God. Number two, his glory is revealed in us. Number three, people see his glory in us. Four, because they see God's glory in us, they seek him, they find him, and they receive eternal life. And the circle continues as they give glory to God. The circle continues. It is a rhythm. God does nothing that does not bring glory to his name. Think on that a moment. Verse 6. Father, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. Circle that. They were always yours. Now, whether you're Calvinist or not, this speaks of predestination. They were always yours. Romans 8, 29, those he called, he predestined. Praise the Lord. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. Verse 9. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me. You are a gift of God to the Son. Your salvation is of nothing you have done. You are a gift of God to his Son. You have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world, 
but they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. What is that power? The power of the name you gave me. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name. Think on that for a moment. Name above every name. His name is even above Father God, Jehovah. The name above every name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united as we are. Hallelujah. Verse 12. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. I agree with R.C. Sproul that um, the problem with Calvinism is it hasn't been taught very well. Except the one headed for destruction. Notice the phrasing here. Headed for. It doesn't say destined to destruction. It says headed for destruction. In other words... Judas could have changed course. He could have repented, but he did not. And an all-knowing God knew that he would not repent. Therefore, he was headed to destruction as the scriptures foretold. What is the meaning of this name above all names? The transliteration from English to Aramaic, which is what virtually everyone spoke in Jesus' circle in that day. The transliteration from English to Aramaic is Yeshua, or Yeshua as you prefer. What does it mean? God is deliverance. God is salvation. Verse 13, now I am coming to you. This is Jesus speaking to his father again. I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with your joy. The problem with our world is, is that they can't differentiate between joy and happiness. Joy is eternal. Joy only comes from Father God. Happiness is a poor substitute. Happiness is temporal. It is quite temporary. Joy is eternal. The joy of the Lord is eternal. Verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. They're staying here. Why? to continue Christ's mission, to continue preaching salvation available through his sacrifice. The last time I spoke here, I told you, or asked you to remember that Jesus summed up the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed 
are the poor. Blessed are the peacemakers. He summed it up by saying, let me tell you why you're here. Let me tell you why God has not taken you up to heaven along with your Savior. You're here to be salt and light. Verse 15 again. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. I found it interesting that uh, the current pope, he's uh, done and said quite a few questionable things, but the one thing he got right was uh, he came out just this past year and saying that the Lord's Prayer needed some revision. He said we should not say lead us not into temptation. And he clarified. He said the scriptures say God tempts no man. I believe what he was trying to convey is the Lord's Prayer, at least in the King James, is uh, I would say a poor translation, at least in this verse. Lead us not into temptation. The message translation says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Verse 16, I want you to note in the next four verses how often the word truth is used. Verse 16, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Verse 19, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them, so they can be made holy by your truth. Verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you, that's me. All who will ever believe in me through their message. What message? message of truth. John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's our message. In Luther's preface to his commentary on Romans, let me recite this for you. Faith is living Excuse me, faith is a living, unshakable confidence in God's grace. It is so certain that someone would die a thousand times for it. This kind of trust in and knowledge of God's grace makes a person joyful. Are we joyful this morning? Hallelujah makes a person joyful, confident, and happy with regard to God and all creatures. This is what the Holy Spirit does by faith. John Wesley read this, and he said, instantly I felt a warmth in my heart. My heart was changed from being that of a slave to God, to that of being a son of God. Marvelous things happen when we live by faith. Sonship. My heart was changed from that of being a slave to God to that of being a son of God, a child of God. Verse 21, 
Father, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me. Salvation, sanctification, glorification, the three stages of Christian being, Christian maturity, glorification. We're supposed to be living in glorification. We're not waiting for heaven. Glorification starts now. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Boom. That should set off some firecrackers in your soul. <clears throat> May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That's sonship, folks. That's being a child of God. May they know that you love them as much as you love me. Verse 24. Father, I want these whom you have given me. Circle that again. You have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can all see the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. I am a gift of God the Father to his Son. A bride for Jesus' wedding day. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. Have you read the story of Isaac and Rebekah lately? Genesis 24. It's the longest narrative in all of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That God inspired Moses to write such a long narrative on this Love story. We need to take note. I'll give you a, a brief synopsis of Rebecca and Isaac. Moses tells his servant, knowing that, uh, did I say Moses? I meant Abraham. Abraham tells his servant, knowing that his time was near, he tells his servant, be sure my son Isaac does not marry one of these Canaanite women. And then he charges his servant, makes him take an oath that he will go to Abraham's family and seek a wife from his father's And the servant agrees. And if you'll, you'll note in this story, it's a beautiful story. He goes back to Abraham's home. And as he stops at the well, he has previously prayed, Lord. He's laying out a fleece. He says, Lord, I must find a wife for my master's son. Grant that she will come and greet me and even offer to water my camels. And who's the first person he bumps into? Rebecca. Sir, may I get you water? And may I water your camels? And he drops to his knees and gives thanks to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You and I 
We are chosen just as God chose Rebecca for Isaac. We are chosen to be Christ's bride. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Because of the joy awaiting him, this is speaking of Christ, because of the joy awaiting Christ, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now is seated in the place of honor beside the Father's throne. What joy? What joy did Jesus find in the cross? The joy of redeeming his bride, of making her perfect. Ephesians 5.27. He did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Jesus deserves a spotless bride. And by his death, he made us so. A perfect bride. For my benediction this morning, let's read Revelation 22, verse 17. And this from the NLT. The Spirit and the bride say, Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Let's drink from the water of life this morning. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that flowing from your very throne in heaven is the water of life. And it cascades from your heavenly throne all the way to this wretched earth. And we say, come, drink freely. Help us, Lord, everyone we meet this week, may our soul be singing this song, come, drink freely of the water of life. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you are omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, every resource comes from you. And we bless you, Lord, for the promise in Second Peter that everything we need, you have already given us. Everything we need to live a life that is holy and pleasing to you and a witness to everyone we meet. Everything we need has been given already to us. So help us, Father, live this rhythm of grace. May people hear our heart's song, hear you saying, come, drink freely. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, beautiful message. Um, so this is Communion Sunday. And, you know, even though we do this once a month, it's just overwhelming to, to think of the table and the remembrance of what it represents. You know, God loved us so much that he gave his only son 
And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that comes from John 3.16. You know, he not only died for us on the cross, but most importantly, he resurrected. And he's alive. And we can be alive. We can live victoriously. Our old self was nailed to the cross. And we're alive in him. It's amazing. Thank you, Lord. Help us to see and help us to understand the best we can the sacrifice that, that you paid for us. Help us to live victoriously in you. Staying close to you and your word, connecting to you, Lord. So as we sing our communion song this morning, it'll be you are the vine and we are the branches. So if you'd like to stand as we sing that. You are the vine, we are the branches, keep us abiding. to the table is if you have accepted the Lord as your Savior um, we come individually so this side will will come this way and take a piece of bread and and they'll eat that right away and this this side will come this way and because we come individually we accept the Lord individually but take the cup and hold it because we're a family so we'll we'll drink together. So come along. <laughs> yeah. After he gave thanks, he said, "Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you, and do this in remembrance of me, individually." And then the new covenant. In my blood, take the cup and drink it. As often as you do that, do that in remembrance of him. Truth so sharp and clear 
you and thank you for this day that we have gathered together in your name and for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that we are a gift from the Father to you. Let us walk in that truth throughout this upcoming week. Amen. God be with us till we meet again. By his counsels, God Thank you.